From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick. And again, what a weekend of sports. I mean, Phil wins the PGA. The NBA and NHL playoffs are amazing, and FSU sports are in their championship seasons here in Tallahassee and around the nation. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. But first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Luke Hazen. Luke, Phil did it. He captured the PGA championship, the oldest person to win a major at 50 years of age yesterday. I mean, what were your thoughts on that, watching that scene coming down at 18? It was, it was a beautiful moment there, Gary, to see all the fans back in in the grandstands there at at Kiowa, um, I don't I don't I still don't know what to think of it. I, I've grown up, kind of in in the, in the waning moments of Phil's career. Like I haven't got to see him win anything of of substance since I've kind of gotten into golf. So to see him come back and round into form for for one weekend, kind of catch lightning in a bottle. It it was it's still crazy to me. Yeah, exactly, because it's one of those things, and I know he's on the Champions Tour right now, so it's he's old. He's 50 years old, and so it it's like one of those things that your dad always talks about. It's like, wow, I remember watching Phil win the Masters a few a while back, a long time back, and like going toe-to-toe with Tiger in certain situations, winning, it, uh, winning a PGA event while he was just coming out of college. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was one of those really highly touted kids coming out of ASU, and then he really lived up to the hype early in his career with a few hiccups here and there, but... I mean that was just a crazy ending to the whole weekend of golf, and it was amazing. One of the best, P- the best PGA Championship in a long time, probably the best one ever. Yeah, in my estimation, I I enjoyed it at Harding Park last year, but th- this was ri- ridiculously more uh, electric of a scene out there. Exactly, and we'll get to a little bit more of the PGA Championship a little bit later here. But let's turn it over to now Brett Rutherford and Sebastian Angel Riano sitting to my right. You guys are both the Bolts fans here, the real Bolts fans here. You guys must have loved Game 4 on on Saturday. I'll just get that out. Let's get this out now. Let's get this out right now. I mean, I loved it until all the, you know, the tomfoolery at the end, Anthony Duclair, Lomberg, and I, I think uh I think now that the the Panthers really feel this series is out of reach, things could could continue to be ugly tonight in in, in Game 5. I'm a little worried. Couldn't agree more, honestly. Third period, didn't like it one bit. I haven't liked the series one bit. Don't like the Panthers anymore. Haven't liked the Panthers since 2020. Uh, I won't say anything on uh, the outcome of whatever the season uh, is, because, you know, me, on brand, won't say anything until the series is actually over. Bolton 5. Uh, We're closing it tonight. I'll say it. I don't care. Here's open. That's for sure. Um, But I'm worried for what Brett has exactly said. It's like I I really hope we don't see – I think Tom Foley is a great word for it, because I can't really say the other words that I want to describe. (laughs) Oh, I I got a great word for it. It's called catitude. Catitude, my friends. Good news is. Oh, oh, here's one. Goonery. That's the one. The good news is, and and, and we'll talk more about this series in the NHL playoffs, but uh, Mikhail Sergeyev and Nikita Kucherov back in the lineup tonight. They're healthy, or at least healthy enough to play. And uh, I mean, that's good. You you don't want to see any players like that miss out because of of a late hit or... Not, I, I don't know. We, we'll talk about it more later. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to the rest of the NHL playoffs later on, either in the first half or the second half. But either way, let's let's lead this off right where Luke and Hazen and I were just picking it up here with the PGA Championship. So like I said, Phil Mickelson captured the PGA, his sixth major at 50 years of age at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. He won with a score of six under for the weekend, and he beat Louis Oosthuizen and FSU's Brooks Kepka by two strokes on Sunday. Brooks didn't really look like he was 
in the right mental state to be getting the job done, but still Phil had to hold off the course and Brooks to get the win here. Let's start with this guy, these guys over here on the right right, because we already heard a little bit of Luke's opinions on this. But what were you guys' opinions on watching uh, Phil kind of take this one uh, yesterday? It was one last uh, victory for our fathers and grandfathers, who are, are I'm sure all Phil Mickelson fans. We thought we had taken over the sport. Not quite yet. Uh, old man Phil got one. No, in, in all seriousness, it was, it was really fun to watch him. The crowds, uh, you know, when he was walking down the 18th um, fairway were Incredible! Like we really haven't seen that since Tiger won. Uh, was oh crap! What it was, was the East the, Lake at the Tour Championship? Tour Championship, twenty nineteen. Right. And and really, that's like the only comparable moment that I've seen uh, live on live TV for for golf. Yeah, that I mean, it was so cool because you only see that very rarely, and it was always the ones where you always see like where crowds cr- uh, standing around the greens and all that. Something from like old days of golf, right. where it's like the the Open Championship over in Europe. And every now and then some other tournaments like we saw a little bit of that at the Walker Cup. If you were watching that a couple weekends ago down in uh, uh, Juneau Beach, Florida at Seminole uh, Golf Club, they had pretty much just fans able to roam wherever they want. Granted, it was a lot smaller of a crowd, not 10,000 people like there were at Kiowa. But it's really cool and you get to see that. But somebody that didn't like it was Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka was noted saying that. He didn't like having the crowds kind of uh, crunch in on him there. He said he got clipped a couple of times, and this is a guy who's been recovering from a knee surgery a couple months ago, and he said he got dinged. So, I mean, do, does Brooks is Brooks justified, or is he really kind of whining about it all right now? I think he's justified in the fact that towards the end, there, especially on 18, there were multiple moments where the crowd was kind of getting antsy, and, and rightfully, you know, in my opinion, rightfully so. I mean, they haven't been to a golf tournament like that in, in over a year and a half, basically. So to uh, uh, the fans were justified in kind of getting riled up, but it did reach a certain point where you had guys grabbing on Phil, bumping into Brooks, and 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 Brooks at that point we understand he's mad that he's probably in all likelihood going to lose this tournament. He's playing banged up the entire weekend, and some dude decides to to crash into Ricky Elliott, who then his bag crashes into Brooks, and he gets even more nicked up than he was before. So I think Brooks is justified in that, but I also want to bring up the fact that I think the fans actually had a little more uh, impact on the outcome than we're leading on. Yeah. If you go back to number seven, Phil goes left into the rough, and the and the fans allegedly say that his ball was uh, clean out of the out of the rough, was picked up and then put into the rough. I don't know what what sort of antics were going on over there, but hey, I'm I'm all for it. A little more drama. Real quick, talking about Brooks. Like there's still, even though it looked like the 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 outcome in terms of who was going to win, it was going to be Phil. That was pretty much settled, but there's still hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. He uh, Brooks ends up tying Ustazen at, at four under, but you look at the guys two strokes b- uh, behind them: Harrington, Lowry, Higgs, and Casey. If Kepka falls below any of those guys, that's a lot of money he would have been losing. Like this is you've got to let. And I, I think he's he's very much justified. It doesn't take anything away from the moment that it was and watching it on TV, and it was really cool. And I'm glad we got to experience it. But I'm I'm pissed if I'm Brooks Kepka. Like I'd be very upset. Yeah, because those people they they were a bit rowdy. They were a lot rowdy. Well, actually. even and Phil was getting tough. Like the, like that. Yeah. I I got scared watching that on TV. I'm like, oh, what if something happens to you? I just you know, first it's like kind of nerve wracking seeing these big crowds that we yeah, haven't seen in COVID, over yeah. a year. It's like, oh wow. <laughs> so, but but I still I don't think it took away from the moment. But yeah, I, I think Brooks is completely I think, justified. I think the defining shot of that of that last Sunday up up eighteen was was Phil fist pumping with everyone in the background, kind of you know following him into the fray, and then 
we have to wait another like five to seven minutes to, to realize we have no idea where Brooks is on the course. He has to come out of the crowd that's already <laughs> swarmed Phil on 18 to try and fight his way to, just to, to, to play second there. I, I was wondering why were they waiting so long? Because I, I just, they had like kind of stoppage. They just stopped on the green there for a second. I was like, wait, where's Brooks? And then you just see him like start like kind yeah, of like pushing trampled. his way out. It's like, what the heck is going on out here? But. We, that's obviously a defining shot or like moment from the day with the crowd and the scene on 18. But what was the defining shot for you, at least? Or what was the moment where it's like, oh, wow, Phil is going to win this thing? I want to say, and I and I kind of been saying it the, the entire day, that if I see Phil with the lead hit the green or close to the green on 17, I'm going to feel good about this. I'm going to feel good because that... That and 13, I think, were the only chances I thought that Phil had of of completely sabotaging himself and going into the water. He, now, he did go into the water on 13 and made bogey there, but on, on 17 to, to get up and down from there. I believe he got up and down. Um, yeah. I, I think that was the moment that I, I was sold that Phil was going to win. But really, just my, my hat's off to him the entire week to drive the ball as well as he did on a, on a course that emphasizes driving with accuracy, I thought was the most impressive thing that I saw any player accomplish this week. You know, going from his usual, you know, 120th-ish place uh, in strokes gained off the tee that he normally is on the PGA Tour uh, to now, I think, on Saturday he went into the water on 13 off the off the tee there. But if you take that away, he was fourth. He was fourth in the entire field in strokes gained off the tee. So just a major, major reverse of, of kind of his track record it was high nasty bombs for phil and that's something that he's kind of trademarked over the past couple of years and that one def- defining shot for me was on 16 where he sh- he drove it 365 yards granted it helps when i was really into the the wind was at his back but he outdrove bryson brooks all these big hitters on tour and he's 50 years old i mean that's just crazy that's just also a testament to really where the game is at in terms of technology that a person like phil can keep with just like Bryson and all the other big hitters. Right, but I, I do I do want to say I, I have the reason why I'm I'm really happy for Phil is that it he hasn't although he's 50 and he's struggled in the last couple of years it's not like he's given up on the game of golf whatsoever he keeps refining his game finding an edge and and keeping up mentally and physically to try and play with these guys that are hitting it. I don't think you can like consider Bryson. rank 177 in the world going into this tournament keeping up with the guys though phil has kind of been a non i want to emphasize the point that you said where phil has been a non-issue for the front of the field the past what two three years? he hasn't been mailing it in like he, he's still like it's it's not like he's just cruising through the, the rest of his career i think yeah he has completely fallen off his game before this weekend and, and, and more importantly he stayed involved in the game of golf for everyone and i think that's why so many people relate to him a, a lot of guys out there it, even even to an extent someone like like Brooks or like Tiger, they they have lives outside of golf that I think sometimes take precedent, and they don't always come off as as you know genuine lovers of the game. And that, mm-hmm. that might be kind of meatheaded of me to say being a golf it, fan. You like also that. though, like you don't luck into winning in the f- fashion that Phil did like, on this course in this well, field. Oh, absolutely not. He he went out, tour, yeah. yeah, he went out there and he killed everybody else out there. You know, there there are certain courses you can walk on and just have a great weekend, and all of a sudden you win a tournament. This is not that. And you look at some of the, his contemporaries that he was, you know, going up against going into that fourth round when it was. I mean, they still, you know, Vegas still had Brooks as the favorite on Sunday, down a stroke. Uh, but I mean, I I guess that kind of makes me think like, does Brooks have that? 
that killer edge. Like, like he might be the most talented golfer in the world in the world right now. But does he have that killer edge to like win on Sundays like that when he's down a stroke? I don't know if he's even the most talented golfer in the world right now because with that right knee injury that he's been dealing with, he can't perform some of the shots that he's been yeah. used to. So that really does hurt him. That's why I still think DJ is probably the most talented guy out there at the moment because with his when his uh, short game is really good, he can outdrive just about anyone. And then he can putt and chip better than almost everyone out there, except maybe Phil. Here's what I'll say. In, in Brooks's defense, I still think that come major championship time, no matter where it's being played, I think that Brooks Kepka is the number one guy more than anyone else I want going in. Because you list guys like DJ, you list guys like Rory, like Jordan, guys that have won it before and that we kind of hold to a higher standard. All of them have like one defining, really, really good quality about them. DJ with his drives. Jordan with his putting and, and whatnot, Brooks is good at almost every single aspect of the game when he's healthy, yeah. when he's healthy. And, and I want to give him credit, even though he kind of choked it away uh, on Sunday, he was still miles ahead of all of his contemporaries like JT, who missed the cut, Xander, Xander Shoffley, who, who missed the cut. He was there banged up on Sunday with a chance to win his fifth major championship. So I, I, I want to give him credit for that, and I, I would still take him over just about anyone in the sport right now. Yeah, is yes, especially majors. But one thing from Brooks on yesterday's round, it it was an up and down start to the round. He took a two stroke. He took a two stroke. There was a two stroke swing on the first hole when uh, uh, Phil bogeyed, and he. Uh, I think it, I think he just flipped. Yeah, yeah. So it was a flip there. So it was a yeah, and then it kept going up and down. They kept trading strokes, trading places at the top, and then. Once it got to hole seven, hole seven through thirteen are my defining moment for uh, Brooks in this round because he did not make really any good push or any good moves to make a push in that round. He did had not have a bogey or did not have a birdie through hole seven through thirteen, and that's what killed his round. I believe he had four bogeys in that time span as well. So, but it and it also felt like in that time at Kiowa there that the course was mentally wearing him down, and it's where those times where he says he gets a little disinterested. He gets a little bit lackadaisical. It's those middle parts of the round, and it looked just like that for him. It looked like exactly how he's described it for a while. Right. He's, he started getting a little squirrely off the tee, and I think that led to some impatience in in him and, and Ricky's strategy uh, when when they would hit their approach shots. There were too many times I felt like they were taking on the wrong, the wrong side of the green, taking a bad line towards it, especially out of the rough. You're not going to have a good time trying to, to play winning major championship golf when, when you're being impatient like that. Well, and that's why I like this course, too, is because they're really, like, it's not real rough. It's the sandy areas. It's some, like, messed up tall grass where it's, like, kind of built into where it looks more like a beach, like you're legitimately playing on a beach. And it doesn't really favor any of those guys. Like, there's Bryson who loves to just bomb the ball, and he, he doesn't care if he's in the uh, rough stuff. He doesn't care how tall that rough stuff is. With the length that his clubs are, he can still generate as much power as anyone can with their driver. So that's why Kiwa is a great, like, just leveling leveled playing field for everyone where if you hit fairways you're going to have a way better chance at winning uh the event so it also really helps when when half the hole is you're playing into 20 mile an hour wins the entire weekend i i've i've played up in south carolina along mm -hmm. in one of those courses all, along the wind there I, I i i kid you not you take you know from 60 yards out you're taking a pitching wedge 
trying to get there, the wind will scream it right back onto the green. It's it's ridiculous, and I I hat off to all the players playing out there this week in those winds. Yeah, it's miserable. Yeah, that that court, Kiowa Island was such an amazing course. Sad that it's only really hosted three big events. It was it has hosted I, two PGAs yeah. and obviously the ninety one Ryder Cup, which it was built for. I think I think Phil winning and just the entire weekend there at Kiowa. I think they've generated some really good will among a lot of PGA supporters. So I I would not be surprised if if we get that. Uh, PGA Championship or U.S. Open back there uh, eventually. Exactly. I like keeping it as one of those once every four years kind of place, even a Ryder Cup's venue, but like it doesn't need to be a usual tour stop. I like how it is where it's it makes it feel special, like yeah. certain other courses. So that's always good there. Do you guys have any last thoughts on the PGA, how any of the other guys played out there? Maybe some Tony Finau talk for Luke <laughs> Fay. <laughs> no, Finau, I mean, he had, a, he had some bright spots in the weekend. He's yeah. just... Uh, you know, a couple things missing. He'll he'll get his major. You know, he'll, top he'll 10, get in there. Top ten Tony once yeah, again yeah, was yeah. outside the top ten all weekend, all week long. Sneaks in right there at the end to T eight position there with a bunch of other guys. He's hanging around. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, do we do we think Phil now goes next week and wins the Champions Tour PGA oh, Championship? The, Does he go back to back there? It's at Southern Hills, I believe. Oh, I think that's is that where the next PGA that's is going to be? That's the yes, next. PGA that's in Tulsa. Yes, I wasn't sure if that was it. But go back I, to back there. I would love for him to go and do that. That would be amazing for him to pull off the back to back. But sadly, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's more likely to go over to Saudi Arabia and play in the <laughs> Super Golf League out there. So, I don't know. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, the Super Golf League's always looming. Phil's now at the height of his popularity in America for in the past maybe five years. But right, I think he's been toying with the idea, but. But I, I don't know. I, I think a win like this kind of cements him. He's he's going to stay over it, here. Because it would really look bad on his legacy for him to win the PGA, win the Hearts of America once again after his whole issues that he's had with the law, maybe. And <laughs> then uh, say, yeah, I'm going to go mess around over in Saudi Arabia now, and we're going to have fun in the Middle East playing some great golf courses over there. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, one one last thing before we, we wrap up the golf talk here is is – I'm I'm really happy for Phil more than anything because my defining moment for for his career as someone who had to go back and watch old highlights of Phil winning major championships, the the, the image ingrained in my mind was him in 06 at Winged Foot, saying, "God, I am such an idiot after blowing a two-stroke lead on the 18th hole." So I'm glad that I I now have a different perspective on Phil. That's yeah, that was the moment that was kind of like in my head the whole time. I obviously didn't watch it live because I really wasn't old enough to watch it, but. Yeah. It it was like there's a chance he blows it. My roommate once he was once Phil was up by like three or four strokes. I was like this thing is still not over yet, especially with going in like back out with the wind at your back. Brooks might be able to get a couple shots here because of the wind, and he can maybe just bomb it straight. And he did it, but not just a little bit too late because Phil was also doing the same. But yeah, great round of golf, great round or great rounds in the past four days. Great coverage too from ESPN and CBS there. So. Here's to more championships for yeah, Phil. We'll, we'll see it uh, at Tory in uh, in June, Father's Day weekend. Set up perfectly for Phil. Another <laughs> yeah. one for Phil. Maybe Phil can get the grand, or maybe he can get do the the Tiger Slam, this but would just be the, in the, a little the bit. Cherry on top if he wins a U.S. Open there, yeah. Be amazing. But still, let's let's jump it out and over now to the hardwood NBA playoffs. Let's start with the big game. The, I think probably with the best game from yesterday. The Knicks-Hawks, the game went back and forth all uh, evening, or all afternoon long. Eventually, it ends with Trey Young hitting a floater in the lane there to win it by a couple of points there in New York. The Ma- the Madison Square Garden was amazing. That, was, that felt like playoff basketball was truly back in that moment there because 
granted they haven't had any crowds there all year it's been very slim to none they had about 15,000 in the garden and that was just phenomenal Brett we'll start with you on that one that 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 was it was a great game I think it's shaping up to be a, a competitive series I don't know if either of these teams are complete enough to to go really deep in the, in these in this playoffs but for the Knicks I think I don't know I don't want to throw out the cliche line like oh the NBA is better when the Knicks are good but with that being said, watching that game and, and seeing the garden like that was really exciting. And honestly, I really love the way Trey Young handled it. Uh, shushing the crowd and after he makes the shot. Oh, wow, you know what? I think he had some choice words to say because uh, I love a good heel. And I think Trey Young, I don't know if he's that type of guy all the time, but in that moment and for the this next week through, through this series, that's the role he's going to play, and, and I'm really excited to see more of it. That's a side that I've never seen out of him. I've never, like, granted, I don't also watch and listen to too many Atlanta Hawks clips after games, so I don't maybe know Trey Young the best, and Austin Reynolds is probably the better voice to hear <laughs> on all of this, but it, yeah, like, that was, a, I loved seeing that side of him and being willing to go out there and get with that crowd because they were chanting allegedly, according to him after, in that post game interview, they were chanting FU the whole night long and he said he wanted to hear more of that after hitting that shot and they the Knicks fans just went quiet oh. I mean, is there anything better than a heel in basketball honestly no. and it's not something that's uh new to Trey Young either he's been uh he's drawn the ire of uh NBA fans over the past season because he allegedly flops more than one your average NBA player uh but even in college at Oklahoma he wasn't uh the most popular player in the Big 12 uh, this is nothing new to him, but in, in playoff, what a playoff debut, honestly. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal showing. 32 points. It felt like the Knicks couldn't do it. They threw everything at him. It's um, going to be really um, interesting in defense. To, to see how this series moves forward because this is a tight game. Obviously, came down to the last shot, but you look at some of the players that are key players in both of these teams. Danilo Gallinari was three for 11 from the field, one for seven from three. You look over on the Knicks side, Julius Randle, six for 23 from the field, ended up with uh, with 15 points and 12 rebounds. Um, but overall, you could say, like, didn't have a great game offensively. If both of like, like this series, I don't think uh, these games are going to be. Uh, like these low-scoring affairs throughout the, throughout the whole series. I think the Knicks are a better defensive team, um, but if Trey Young can put up 32 and get 10 assists, it's going to be tough, I think, for the Knicks to stick around. Exactly, and that was the one factor that I think we were going through on last Monday's show that if Trey Young can start taking over games, like you said, Brett, it's going to be a rough series for the boys. And he didn't even get to the free throw line until pretty late in that game. Ended up taking nine free throws. Like That was one of the different. He was nine for nine from the free throw line. If 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 he can have those fourth quarters like he did in the garden yeah like it's he's gonna be he could also become one of the nba's better closers and and, and sometimes i debate whether or not that's a, a real role in the nba but i think that's the perfect example was was that game that game one D- dare i say it was it was reggie miller-esque yeah to be honest with yeah. you yeah walking right into the garden and taking game one like that i what a performance from trey i I have seen that side of him before. There have been a couple games against the Bulls where he's hit some game winners and talked his trash. So I wasn't too surprised to see him John with the Knicks fans, but what a debut. And I think this could be a sort of trend that we see going forward into this series. The reason I like the Hawks over the Knicks so much was because I just don't think that the Knicks have a premier ball handler in crunch time like Trey Young. It's also why I, th- I thought that Portland would beat the, the, the Nuggets because they have two guys like that. That, that can sort of take over the game late. So we'll see going forward if, if the Knicks can sort of 
uh, take advantage in, in crunch time. I mean, look who had to step up for them in this game. Alec Burks, he had a great game, yeah. 9 for 13 from the field. He had three threes. He was great from the corner. But that's you're not going to get 27 from Alec Burks every night this series. Like, you're going to need Julius Randle. You're going to need R.J. Barrett to, to step up. R.J. Barrett was also pretty poor, 6 for 15 from the field, 1 for 6 from 3. The Knicks, I think you would expect some positive regression in terms of like, from their offense. But, I mean, I don't know. The Hawks seem to be more consistent throughout the game, and they finished that with a great fourth quarter. Like, the Knicks came out the gate only scored 16 in the first quarter. And that's at home. Like, what happens when this series gets back to Atlanta to see that crowd? You know, they're finally getting to see Trey Young in the playoffs like this. Like, we're back to normal. Like, that is going to be, I think, really, really tough for, for New York. It's going to be a huge boost for the Hawks there, and yeah, huge dejecting factor for the Knicks. But let's continue on the, uh, with the theme of low-scoring games. We had the Suns and Lakers in their first game, also on Sunday afternoon. Suns took down the Lakers 99 to 90. LeBron with 18.7 rebounds, 10 assists, and then you got Devin Booker on the other side putting up 34. I mean, the guy shows up in big games when it matters, just like he kind of did there at the end of that season in those play or those games at the was it what were they called the bubble games, the play bubble bubble games, yeah, the play in bubble games that even though the Suns won every single one of them didn't end up matters, but yeah, so Devin Booker was phenomenal. I mean, LeBron, are we? Are we going to keep talking about LeBron flopping? Because, I mean, was it the eye poke earlier in the week in the play-in game and then allegedly getting, box, or getting boxed out by little Chris Paul? And <laughs> LeBron injured Chris hit. Paul. Injured, injured Chris Paul. Injured Chris Paul, yes. Which I mean, is, is huge going forward in this series. If, if CP3 is, is hampered at all, I think that the Lakers absolutely could take advantage of that. But at least for game one, what a statement by the Suns. It feels like whenever LeBron plays a team that, that's uh, higher seeded or has a better regular season than him in the playoffs. It's not often. Too often when they – right, but when, but when they do play him, it, all, it almost seems like the higher seeded team, the better team during the regular season, kind of lets a couple early games in the series get away from them against LeBron, kind of falter under that light playing against a guy like him. So to see the Suns come out in game one and really take it to the Lakers – um, after being a superior team throughout the regular season, I thought that was really encouraging for for the Suns going forward. I honestly need to see it again though, because last year uh, I know that that Laker team in the bubble could not be denied. They only got punched in the mouth early by Portland in the first series. Um, I was almost kind of I let myself get excited because uh, I know everybody here knows that I'm a little bit of a LeBron here, just a little bit. Um, you know, because of shenanigans like last night where he, he relocated his flop to be at the center of attention on the court, which I thought was... He's a showman. Who, it was hilarious. I, I prefer not to speak, really. but um, it's, Well, especially because, like, there was so much others, other things going on. Like, I saw, like, I obviously saw the full highlight, but then ESPN put out a second highlight where it was LeBron in the middle of the court, and then you don't see... They said, like, LeBron, like, getting boxed up by Chris Paul incited that fight. When it really wasn't that, it was the uh, what's his name throwing the ball, and them kind of yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Payne going yeah exactly throwing the ball around on the other side of the court and ESPN and like whoever was trying to make it look like it was LeBron and Chris Paul that's incited that fight, which was just weird. Either way, are you really going to to, to fall dramatically on the ground uh, because of a guy that's seven in um, over half a foot shorter than you? I think you guys are being Come too on, harsh. Man. Like I played many many a, a rec league basketball game where I. 
I take a hard fall and it kind of stings a little bit afterwards. I think you guys are being too harsh. With, with all that being said, yeah, though. Yeah, but when you're, when you're down on a court, you don't get up, move like eight feet in front of the ref, and then curl up into a fetal position. Well, maybe he was just seeing three Chris Pauls. Maybe that's what it just hits harder when it's three Shoot Chris Pauls as opposed to just one. That's, that could be what it is. <laughs> that was a much bigger offense than whatever crap he pulled in this game. <laughs> Going back to the point, we didn't even get a chance to talk about that, no. that like that performance against the Warriors. He didn't have his ointment because of the, uh, after the third quarter. Like, the, that picture of LeBron laying down on the ground crying, looking like he's about to uh, break he, out of He tried tears. to tell Steph, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, after the game, they, they went and shook hands or whatever. He tried, oh, I couldn't see anything. And Steph didn't ha- w- wouldn't have any of it. He was like, get over it. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm really bummed that Steph's not in, in the actual playoffs. But uh, I think for the Suns, you, they really ran an eight-man rotation. Um, but it was really their, their starting five played a huge bulk of the minutes. And this is going to be a slugfest. The, the pace that these two teams play at, there's going to be a lot of defense. Um, there's going to be some hard fouls, especially as the series uh, progresses. The The Suns are going to start, probably need to start getting uh, more minutes to their bench guys. And I think they've got that depth that maybe the Lakers lack. And we saw that when LeBron and AD go down, how much the, you know, <laughs> the Lakers had to play in a play-in game just to get to this series. And I think that, and like if if this series if if the if this series can get to two one Suns, that might be really difficult for the for the Lakers. Like we still don't know how healthy LeBron is. Uh, you know he said he'll never be back to one hundred percent. AD's dealing with with some things. This could be a year where you maybe have the championship hangover. But the Suns taking Game One in the fashion that they did. In terms of like there were a few high seeds that lost their opening game. Out of all, the, or I guess the Lakers on a high seed. Um, but big, big name teams that lost their opening game. I think the Lakers need to be more worried than than some of these other teams that lost their opening game. One because like the Phoenix Suns have been a damn good basketball team like all season, and they played some really solid basketball. They, in game they've one. been a great team, and, and it, the Lakers are doing themselves no favors if Anthony Davis is going to keep putting up performances like he yeah. did my, uh, minus eighteen plus minus on the day. Why are you playing scared five, against a guy? Who's he's he's got to be five hurt, of though. sixteen from That's, the field, yeah. thirteen points. They need him to be the all-NBA player that he is. Or otherwise, this Lakers team is not as good as everyone says. Everyone keeps kind of taking it for granted that, they, oh, they have LeBron and AD. That's fine. But if AD's not playing like we're used to him playing, and he's getting bodied by Aiton and other guys down low, um, the Lakers are going to be out in five how, five games, maybe. How crazy six is games. this, though, that we're talking about this? I feel like I'm in crazy land. Because we're talking about a, a LeBron-led team that's playing scared. This yeah. is ridiculous. It, should, it well, should never be that way. But. AD is either injured or he's afraid to re-injure yes. himself. Yeah. I don't know what, what Andre Drummond's full health status is right now, but if AD needs to have reduced minutes to where the minutes that he is playing are more effective, you have a great true number five in Andre Drummond. You need LeBron to play uh, more aggressive and less passive like he does in some of these situations, some of these games that they drop. You've got other scorers. You've got um, KCP and Dennis Schroeder. Give Davis. You don't have to like sit him out for a game, but reduce those minutes because when he's playing thirty nine minutes, at, like he's hurting the team more than he's helping the team. Exactly. And like Luke said, that just like you can't have that from him at this point in the yeah. season. I mean, he went five for sixteen from field goal range, zero for two from three point, three for five from the free throw line. So not a great night for AD in any way, shape, or form. But we'll get to the rest of some of these NBA playoff series in just a moment. We're at the break. We're at the half right here. So. We'll be back in just a minute. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Pundick, and I'm joined by, as always, Luke Hazen, Brett Rutherford, and then Sebastian Angel Riano, who is coming in from probably the bathroom. And then we also got <laughs> Scott Clemens in the production booth tonight. We left off talking some NBA playoffs. Let's continue that right where we left off. Talking about another top seed in the West with the Utah Jazz as they lost their first round game last night in a late night game, late on a Sunday. I didn't even stay up for the fourth quarter here, but they lost to the Grizzlies 112 to 109. Really not a great game from Utah. I mean, it really does hurt though that they don't have Donovan Mitchell for this first game in this matchup here. So that's obviously a big factor. I think if he's in this game, Utah wins. But either way, he's not there and you got to win the games when they matter. And Utah didn't do that last night. As as a self-proclaimed uh, Utah Jazz fan, I'm not worried. Apologies. Not worried <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, I think once Mitchell's back, and uh, we really don't know. Like, I, I think if he was ready to go, you would play him in game one. Maybe they looked past. This Grizzlies team who came back and, and stole a game here on the road, I mean, he's ready to go. You have to play him in game two. Like, you cannot go down 2 nothing. Because this Grizzlies team, they've got a good mix of scores. You look at a guy like Dylan Brooks, who's great defensively, and he put up 31 points in this first game. Uh, he was the leading scorer for Memphis. Um, overall, though, I, I think <laughs> I, w- I would even be confident that Utah will be able to pull this off if, if, if they lose game two. Um, but they're making it real difficult on themselves, and it would just kind of like add to this like idea that no matter how great the Utah Jazz are going to be in any reg- given regular season, they're not going to be good enough to to get it done in the playoffs, right? They're they're certainly they're not doing themselves any favors to kind of curb the stereotypes that we've grown accustomed <laughs> to to making about the Utah Jazz and early playoff exits. Um, one stat that I I looked at, I mean Jonas Valanciunas down low, uh, putting yeah. in 15 points for the Grizzlies against Rudy Gobert and that you know that vaunted uh, post defense that the Jazz have kind of uh, cultivated the last couple of years. It was non-existent down low. Um, that was just one thing to look at. Yeah. Also, was it Bojan Bojan Bogdanovic? I mean, had a killer game. That was an, a really solid one from him last night. But he was not able to help and push them over the edge. I mean, Mitchell even said it this morning. He said uh, he was frustrated and upset with the scratch there late yesterday. But when you have guys like that are coming into play, it's it really doesn't help that you can't really. I don't know. It just felt like they couldn't get over any sort of hump yesterday. Right, and Bogdanovich, he had a great game offensively, but but him having to guard guys like Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson, who can who can handle the ball when the, uh, when it's time, uh, I, I think it's a disadvantage. You can see it play out. Both those guys, 14 for Anderson, 15 for Brooks. Um, they they were getting whatever they wanted for most of the night after the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, Brooks was cooking him. I saw some of the highlights from that. It, it stood no chance in that game. So. Really impressive stuff there. Do we have any other thoughts on this game? All right, let's jump over now to the other series that we're going to be talking about tonight, the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee took game one of that series in overtime. Really close game, really sloppy game, too, on both teams' behalf. Another one really looked terribly great. If, if Miami was going to win this series, they would have won game one. You look at how the Bucks shot the basketball, 5-for-31 from three. The Heat were 40% from three. They took 53-pointers. Sunk 20 of them, which is still a really good rate. And they lose the game in overtime. Like, you had great guard play. Duncan Robinson was was amazing. But the Bucks just are able to still bully the Heat down low. And I know the Heat won the series last year. But this seems like a game. It's like, well, if the Heat couldn't even win this one, 
what game can they win in this series? And can they match that shooting performance and then you know win more on the boards, score more in the paint, and match up against Giannis? Like Giannis didn't even play his, his best. You th- you'd imagine that he's gonna have a better game in game two, which is, I think, tipping off right now. Yes. Um, it, it, it just felt like this is going to be um, a series that Milwaukee just edges out the heat just barely in, in every game. I, I want to say, I, I think Heat fans and, and a lot of NBA fans, they're, they're sort of confident that Miami can win a series like this against the Bucks, based off of what we saw last year when, when the Heat won in five games against mm-hmm. the Bucks. But what I think I think a lot of people forget is how close those first couple of games of that series were when Giannis wasn't injured. One of them went to double overtime, if I'm not mistaken, game one or two. Um, and, and if Giannis hadn't been injured, I don't think that series was over. I know it was 3-0, but they won game four. He missed game five. If, all, if, if Giannis was there and they win game five, that series is exactly. up in the so, air again. So that series could have turned based off, off of just a bucket being made or not uh, down the stretch there. Um, so I think we're looking at this series now. I think Miami needs to... Uh, come out and win this game, or else I think it's over. Well, so back, kind of back to that Giannis point there with him. Be, if he was in for the rest of that series, I still think the Heat closed out, and it even could have been a sweep because with the Bucks, they play a little bit differently whenever Giannis is on the floor, and in at least a playoff situation, the Heat like they match up well against Giannis. They actually defend very well against the guy, and it's I think it's a bigger factor for him to be actually on against the Heat because then that it makes the other Bucks players try and go for him and give him the ball. And sometimes he isn't that consistent. If the Heat can do a good job of, like I said, keeping him on the perimeter and forcing him into bad situations, they have a really good chance of winning these games. I, I think an X factor in this series is going to be Brook Lopez. He was kind of a pest. Yes, uh, he, yes he was. A couple, couple questionable things that he did throughout that game. If he can do that throughout the series, uh, keep the Heat frustrated, um, it, it, he's going to be a, not a secret weapon. He's the starting center for the Bucks, but a, a guy that could be the X factor. Yeah, he was even a head. He was a head case against us in the yeah. playoffs last year, and that was tough to go up against because, granted, Bam is a very good center. He's very good defensively, but Lopez is a lot taller. He's a very good uh, center. He'll get some elbows in there. He's mm-hmm. physical, physical player, um, and you know, I guess fair play to him. He's getting away with it. So. Exactly, and I th- I think if the Heat are going to win this series, I think Butler needs to play a little bit better. Obviously, seventeen points, but he did shoot four for twenty-two from he's, field goal range. He's just, just got to be more efficient. As do guys like like Bam, who went four yeah. fifteen with with nine points. They're going to need a lot more produ- production out of him. Exactly. So that's where Duncan Robinson he did pick up a lot of that slack in that game. Obviously, shooting seven for thirteen from three-point range, which was amazing. But you really didn't have anyone else really show up in that game. So that's why I'm confident. I mean, obviously, Goran Dragic also played very well in this one. But if Bam and Jimmy can take over a game, I really do believe the Heat can win. I I think it's going to be an interesting series based off of Game 1 just because I think both teams were so sloppy. I don't think we've Mm -hmm. seen what either of these teams can do when they're really rolling. So that I'm really looking forward to games two and three. And in a sloppy game, I think that's where the Heat thrive. I think they need <laughs> to kind of bring the Bucks down to that level and force them to play a little bit more uh, ra- irrational basketball because I think the Heat really kind of thrive in chaos. So I like that for the Heat. I'm still sticking with Heat in five, if you were wondering, just in case. But let's switch it over to hockey now. Back to the other teams in the state of Florida, the Panthers, the Bolts. Game 5 is starting at 8 o'clock tonight in 20 short minutes on CNBC. This one, it's do or die for the Cats. The the Bolts are in the driver's seat. This one will be coming back to Sunrise, Florida for tonight. Panthers up the capacity to 75% in the BB&T this evening. So, wanted to get a little bit more of that crowd factor going into tonight. 
Are you guys? What are you guys' thoughts on this matchup going into here? Because I know the Panthers. They added Spencer Knight to the starting lineup. He will be the starting keeper. He was the Panthers' number one draft pick a couple of years ago, and he was one of the top goalies in the United States. He uh, helped win the gold medal for the United States in the uh, juniors tournament this summer or this past year, and then also uh, helped BC make a deep run in the Frozen Four. Well, you usually uh, when you have a sacrificial lamb, you usually have a prayer, but. Um, <laughs> You're saying Knight is a sacrificial lamb. He's their third goalie used this year, and I don't think you can be confident. He ain't worth $10 million. To be, to be honest, I don't, I don't know much about Knight as a goalie. Um, I haven't seen him play a whole bunch, but the fact that you switch back and forth between Drieger and Bobrovsky, and then all of a sudden the season is on the line, and you go to this young uh, goaltender in Knight, I think that's really tough for anybody. It might be tough for the Lightning because it might turn out that he's the best of the three that's played. Um, but it just feels like at this point the Panthers are pressing and it, it, it's showing. Like the way they kind of fell apart in the light and were, continue, they were able to add goals in game four, um, it's it's just showing that the Panthers are, are, are a very talented team. They're going to be back in the playoffs for multiple years, um, but the Lightning are just still have that edge right now. I agree. The Lightning for sure do have that edge and enough to beat the Panthers, obviously, tonight. They very well could end it tonight, but... And that's something that that's a luxury that you guys have had in terms of goalkeepers these past couple of seasons. It <laughs> really helps having Vasilevsky in net there yeah. because the, you look at the Panthers. We've been switching out goalkeepers all year long. It's been back and forth between Drieger. And the Lightning and have been in that position before. You know, it's, yeah, it's, we got lucky now. It's a headache to go through, and that's where we're hoping Knight can be. But obviously, with Bobrovsky being the highest-paid goaltender in the NHL. You have to ride with him in that game one, yeah. which makes sense. But Drieger's been the better goalkeeper all season, so it's really do you go with the guy who you're paying more or the guy that is better? Which And the Panthers, when they got to the playoffs, even in these couple of games that they both played in, no one's been hot. And the kind of theme in playoff hockey is you ride the hot hand in terms of goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the hot hand for you guys have been uh, Vasilevsky. You haven't had to have an, even a choice at making a change. <laughs> And the Panthers have had to keep flipping snip, snap, snip, snap, and it just keeps biting in the butt. In the butt. Ultimately, um, the series, I, I won't call anything because it's not me, but I, what I will say is that every single test that the Panthers have thrown at the Lightning, there's been something fundamental that you can't really hang your hat on at any point if you're a Panthers fan through these past four games. And I'll, I'll start with this. Um, first game, game one, Haymakers. All around slugfest complete. Uh, you know, you're going toe to toe. Amazing game for me personally. Game of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. Ultimately, like every single thing that the Panthers do, the Lightning are either a one step ahead or b have a plan to get even. I, I think the Panthers went into this series with a game plan to hit the Lightning hard, which they've done, and I think they were expecting um, less whistles. And they've gotten. There's been a lot of whistles. There's been a lot of penalties called. Um, Not even on power play count though, fifteen and fifteen. Yeah, no, it, it's gone both ways. But I think I think you go into a playoff series expecting that okay, maybe the refs are going to quote unquote swallow their whistles a little bit. We're going to be playing at even strength, and, and oftentimes in the past that's hurt the Lightning because in the regular season they are almost always t- towards the top of the league um, on special teams, on the power play, and on the penalty kill. Uh, but th- when when they've been able to uh, get into their power play in the playoffs a lot more often than I think they're probably used to. That's when they were able to rack up these goals. I think, I think um, what you're seeing is two different teams at two different maturities. You have a team that has a firm understanding on how to win and, more importantly, how to lose um, with the Lightning. Yeah. You have a team that's getting there uh, with the Panthers. Um, if the series happens before 2018, um, or two, sorry, 2019, I think the outcome is uh, this series goes easily to six or seven games. 
uh, this 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 series it has a much harder case for me to go six or seven games at this point in the series, and that's because um, you know the uh, before I honestly pin it on Pat Maroon. If, well, if Pat Maroon doesn't come here, I'm almost yeah. done. If Pat Maroon doesn't come here and show that you can hit back, uh, this this team mentally would be broken. Well, yeah, and so if also this series happened before 2019, Bobrovsky would be a completely different goaltender. <laughs> I mean, he's won the Vesna a couple times beforehand. and he swept those, the lightning in the first round exa- of the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah. You'd be seeing a whole different line in the goalkeeping department there for the Panthers or for anyone. And so, I mean, just like a quick little tidbit here on Spencer Knight. He's 4-0. He started four games this year for the Panthers after coming from Boston College. He was literally playing for the Boston College Eagles in February. And now he's here in South Florida. He's played four games for the Panthers, 4-0. He's got a 2.32 goals allowed and a 91% save percentage. So he's looked pretty good, at least for a rookie. Obviously, winning four games is solid, but... It's going to be a very nerve-wracking for him as a rookie coming into this. He's 20 years old. I mean, the kid was born in 2001. So, I mean, that's... He's as old as my, bro- as my brother. Yeah, exactly. He's as old as your brother. I mean, like, it's wild to see a guy from 2001 starting a playoff game in the NHL, a, mean- a very meaningful playoff game in the NHL are tonight. We, are we allowed to feel old now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to get you guys' opinion on what you think or how this game is going to play out tonight. If, if after the antics that took place in Game 4, do you think that the Panthers at this point down 3-1 in the series, do they double down and really try to test to see how much the Lightning are willing to take? So my hope in this game were to be that the Lightning would try and come out a little bit aggressive and try and come out a little bit over their skates there tonight because of what the Panthers were doing and the, the tomfoolery that you guys were quoting it earlier. It really depends on how, like... Like you said earlier, if the refs swallow their whistles again, there's a difference between swallowing your whistle and just completely letting a game go in, like in the, last night. And when they did start to swallow their whistles was, was in game four, and that's when some of these these, these um, hits that the Panthers had, um, and John Cooper voiced this concern, it's like, oh, like now the players aren't being protected. Now it's getting ugly. The Lightning are going to really want to win tonight. They don't want the series to go any longer. They're going to they're be playing Carolina in the next round, and I, it, it's it it could get it could get really. And ugly. Car- Carolina's now going through a tough series. Nashville just tied two, that two? thing up two two yesterday. That was a great double overtime yeah, win there it's in it's Nashville. Still be Carolina. It should know. yeah. <laughs> it should be still Carolina. I thought that was going to be a sweep, but still, their Predators are giving them a run for their money. But you see Kucherov go down. You see Sergeyev go down. It's like the Lightning want to get out of this series as fast yeah. as they can. No yeah, they, who they, they will, will play tonight though for for what it's worth. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I do believe the Panthers are still going to come out physical. I think they know that they have to play physical to win this game because if they try and play fast and play spread out. The spread Lightning out, can outskate them. Exactly. That's exactly how it would end up, and the Panthers would just get beat in transition off a sloppy turnover in the neutral zone or a sloppy pass in the offensive end. So the okay. Panthers have to be physical, and they have to be crashing the boards every single time, and they have to be willing. I think game, uh, game three, they played that extremely well. They came out quick in that first period, got two up, then they started to sit back a little bit, let Tampa play their game, and that's why Tampa scored five, and also the penalties. Yeah. That's what also killed them. And then the Panthers were able to play a little bit more on their offensive end in the third period, and that's why they were able to control so much puck and get two goals. I, I would honestly say that the Lightning lost that game where the Panthers won it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never even considered to use this term when describing the Lightning, but they played prevent hockey in the third, and they got bit back yeah. for it. Yeah. Exactly. That's why. That's exactly what I was thinking when watching that. Is like They're letting us control the puck. This is not good. I was like, they got to just ram it down our throat at this point and end it because they can. if they let this team have a chance, they'll, the Panthers will take it, and they did. So... That's what what happens when you let some team. I'm not going to say when you let bad teams hang, <laughs> but when you let any team in the NHL hang around, you're going to get beat like that. That's just professional hockey in general. But 
Is there any other thoughts that we got on any other playoff series, or we want to jump over to the Premier League? I want to get to Premier League and Champions League final. Let's jump over to some of the Premier League, because yesterday was Championship Sunday, the final day of the Premier League season. A lot of lot of impl- er, implications going into this game or into this Sunday. We had Leicester and Chelsea at three and four in the in the standings there. And so for people that don't know, one through four make Chelsea it, was three. Oh, they were three. I thought they were four. They right? had a point lead over Liverpool oh, and the, Leicester. Oh yeah, because you guys won on Tuesday. That mm-hmm. was it. Um, so it one through the teams one through four make it to the Champions League. They get to go on to the European competition, the one that brings in such a ton of amount of revenue for these clubs. And so. Chelsea and Leicester were in that top four. Liverpool was sitting just outside at five in a Europa League spot. And Liverpool was in... Uh, they they controlled their own destiny, I'd say that, for the most part there. Because if they were to win against Crystal Palace and Leicester were to win against uh, Tottenham and Chelsea were to win, it would have been uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, and then Leicester in that order. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have been three to four or if uh, Chelsea would have been uh, three, but still... Liverpool is in the driver's seat. They end up winning their game 2-0 against uh, Crystal Palace. Chelsea has a game against Villa, which got a bit nervy there. Brett, I'll let you take that one. They they lost that game 2-1. But meanwhile, we're rooting, uh, Chelsea fans are rooting for or for Spurs, who are their most bitter rivals, who are playing Leicester, end up winning that game 4-2, to two, which bumps Leicester, who for a long chunk of the season was sitting in third place, looked like Brendan Rodgers was going to get them back into the into the Champions League. And just like they did last year in the restart, they fall apart, they finish fifth, and, and I'm honestly really happy about that. I believe Leicester was in the top four all season, going up until this weekend, yeah. going up until Sunday, until they get knocked out into fifth and get sent back to Only the Only one win out of their last five games. They lose to like they could have if if they had gotten a result out of Chelsea from Chelsea on Tuesday, they 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 lose to Chelsea and and ultimately you know Europa League is is huge for a club of that size. It's still going to bring in a lot more revenue than they're used to. I know they're 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 almost kind of on the edge of being a, a big six team. You could say they've been better than Arsenal for the last half a yeah, decade. About, there's a couple of big six teams that they've been better than yeah, I and, heard and, argue. And so, <laughs> better than most of London for a good bit. But they, but they, need, they, they still need to find that edge where they're, they're, they're not selling players off to other clubs. They're, they still, you know, they, they lost N'Golo Conte and Riyad Mahrez. This year they sold Ben Chilwell to Chelsea. And I don't know if it's just a little bit more money pumped into the club for them to take that next step, but they got to stop being a, a club that, that still sells off their, their best players to the other big six sides. It's just hard to, like, financially... You have to re- recall how monolithic uh, yeah. five of those big six clubs are when it comes to, to income. It, but it's you've like got Man United, which is the biggest moneymaker in the world when it comes to international sport, and you've got oil clubs if and they, Liverpool. If, they, if Leicester couldn't do it this year, I don't know when they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, because right, their finances won't allow for it. They have to. They have to go the raise. But they had it. No, but they, but they had it. Like, it's like it wasn't. They've had the team that was. They developed it. They, the but they had the side that was good enough. Like Gary said, they were in the top four all season, and then you lose four out of your last five when you're not competing in the Champions League. I know they were on the FA Cup run. They end up winning the FA Cup, which is a huge accomplishment, first time in their club's history. But it's not like Chelsea has been playing, you know, you know, they've been playing on, on three different fronts for this whole second half of the season, playing game after game after game. Like Leicester could have focused in, and, and ultimately, I, I don't want to say it was Brendan Rodgers because I think he's done a fine job there, but... They, they they choked like they yeah. choked, and they had a leg up on Liverpool in that respect too, because Liverpool was hurt, beaten, yeah. battered, and torn in the j- months of January, February, and March, where they were just abysmal. They were losing games left and right at Anfield. They couldn't just win games flat out. They were drawing a lot lo- dr- and drawing a lot late in games or losing it late in games, 
And then they got Liverpool, I'm going to be honest, they caught a break at the end of the season. They got a very easy schedule to close this one out. And they were able to take advantage of that. And they they went, uh, they didn't lose a single game in their last 10. And that was really what put them over the edge. And it, it just, yeah, Lester did flat out choke this one. Sebastian, how shocked were you that, that Spurs, after Mourinho was sacked? Nothing short of stunned, honestly. I'm, I'm not... I, the 2021 for Spurs has been a nightmare, a, a, a perpetual nightmare. It, it's been as just as bad as you can possibly explain it, except, you know, if Harry, Harry Kane went out and died on the, on the, <laughs> on the pitch, I think that's the only thing uh, that would have made it worse. But ultimately... Um, you have fans thinking of making their peace with Harry Kane, the heart and soul yeah. of Tottenham, leaving leaving the club this summer or next summer, one of the two. It's yeah. not a ton of leverage. The, the, for, as a fan of this new competition, the Europa Conference League, or the UEFA Conference League, um, which is like, uh, I guess, if you're, this is not a direct comparison. You've got, like, in college basketball, the NCAA tournament, the NIT, and the CBA. The, the Conference League would be like the CBA. Of con- it's yeah. not a direct comparison. Feels it's still, like it, though. To finish seventh in the Premier League, it's still an it's accomplishment. A, it's very it's explicitly a, a cut below the Europa League. Definitely. a cut below of the Champions League. So as a fan, are you excited to see them in that, or is it going to be hard for you to get up for those it, games? It's, it's not that. It's just um, one of the issues that's plagued Spurs is the exact same thing that plagues Chelsea, where you're playing, where you're fighting on three fronts, where it's like yeah. a, a domestic trophy, uh, the, the league, and then uh, European football. Where it rubs you down to the nub, and you don't when you don't have the support systems and finances that Chelsea has, um, be it because of the stadium or just because of the way the, t- the club's structured, it's extremely taxing on players like Harry Kane. What happens? He gets injured halfway through the season. I'm not. This is not an explicit Harry Kane thing either. It's tons of players. You, you need you need 22 players. You need two sets of 11 players exactly. that could, like that's what Manchester City have done. Liverpool are almost there, but even they didn't have quite the depth that, that kind of showed oh, yeah. this year that Man City so has. Much more difficult. It makes yeah. a rebuild when when you already have to nickel and dime everybody for any player that you're possibly going to sign up the summer. Um, it makes re- rebuilding to um, for both um, international and national football that much more difficult. Um, if it brings in money, fine, go ahead. Uh, if it's going to wear the team down even faster, uh, uh, what's the point? Just focus on the FA Cup, win something. <laughs> for sake. Can we preview the Champions League final real quick? I'm yeah, curious to see yeah, what your guys' predictions are. Yeah, let's are. touch on that. Yeah, so Champions League final, that'll be this Saturday. It'll be Manchester City taking on your Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And that'll, where is, is that game being played? It's in Porto. Porto in Portugal, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, because they did the Champions League last year there. It was going to be at Istanbul, um, but they are they're in, in I wish they would have done complete it lockdown. Uh, was, they they talked about that. I was kind of hoping they were to bring it to over to England and have fans. Are they going to have fans in Portugal? There will be fans. Okay. I know Chelsea fans that are making the trip, um, and they couldn't do it in, at Wembley because of the um, EFL playoff. Mm-hmm. But, but either way, yeah, so they'll at least have fans there. It'll be a bit more of a traditional European uh, Cup final feel to it. But still, you have Manchester City, who's kind of coasted through the end of their season here. They Obviously, they still won 5 nothing to end their season against Everton on Sunday. And they're taking on Chelsea, who's had to fight a little bit more as of recent. So, Brett, I mean, like you know the best out of all of us. So, give us a little so, bit of a preview Chelsea, on this please. one. Um, yeah, give me a reason why you think Chelsea is going to win this game. What's going to be the X factor? Well, Tuchel has beaten uh, Pep twice since he took over at Chelsea. He... Um, beat him in the FA Cup and then beat him in the in the league on a last second goal. And you could argue that City didn't play full strength teams in those, but I think Pep as Pep and Tuchel are two of the best tactical minds um, on the planet, really, in terms of managers. And I, I I would put Chelsea against any team in the world in a one off game. I know their league form has kind of struggled as the season has gone on, but you saw what they could do against Real Madrid. You could, you saw what they could do against teams like Atletico Madrid and teams like Manchester City when when the games are that most much important that that important. 
Um, ultimately, I think it could be another close game that goes into extra time, like you saw Chelsea when they were heavy underdogs in 2012 and beat Bayern Munich. Um, I, I, I think I would I would go one-one uh, as a as a score prediction, and in penalties, it could go either way. I mean, I I, I, I worry for some of the mentalities of certain Chelsea players, like uh, Timo Werner taking a penalty in a Champions League final. Christian Pulisic. I mean, he'll, I think that, he'll score his. I think, um, I think just Christian Pulisic is a good reason for a lot of Americans to pull for yeah. Chelsea. Just because that's an American uh, having an American win a Champions League. Uh, granted, might not. He, granted, he might not start, but obviously that's a whole different conversation start. for that. But yeah, just having a guy like that It'll win a Champions League, League, the biggest tournament in all of the arguably the biggest tournament in all the world, other than the World Cup. Yeah. It's huge, and it's a huge boost for Amer- American morale when it comes to the game of soccer. So I think that would be cool, but. Honestly, if I'm going to be real, I think Man City's going to win this one. I just It's tough to bet against Man City, and obviously you guys have taken them down the last two times around. It's too much of a – Man City's too much of a buzz, so I'm honestly not convinced. Uh, I know I, I told you to, to sell me on Chelsea, and I, I know my bias is, is showing a little bit of spurs, but I, I my recency bias is affecting me more. Where Man City, all year, absolutely untouchable. I know you called this championship championship Sunday, but let's be honest, this, this league oh, has been decided for – Exactly, once. it's been decided for a while. I, I think if there's one team that can play that game and control a game against Manchester City, it's Chelsea. But what we've seen out of Chelsea is even when they control the game, even when they create so many chances against sides like Real Madrid, they're not they're not converting enough chances. So I say one one. I think Chelsea could control the possession. I think they could look like the better team, um, but ultimately, if they only you know score a goal, City, you make one mistake, boom, two one, yep. and you lose the you lose the final. So. I expect it to be really close. I, th- I think Tuchel have the the team ready. I don't think these these last couple losses are gonna have that much of an effect on the team. Chelsea are gonna be fully healthy. Expecting Golo Kante and maybe Mateo Kovacic in midfield up top. I think Christian Pulisic will start with with Timo Werner and Mason Mount. Maybe Kai Havertz is in the mix there somewhere. Um, but I think it's gonna be a I I think it's gonna be a really close game. I'm take yeah. I was gonna take two one City in this one. So yeah, you obviously have one one, and then who do you have someone take? Who do you know? Are you gonna are you gonna do it? I'll leave. No, I'll give it. It's a one one, and someone will win in pen, on penalties. Okay, fair, okay. fair. Sebastian, um, who do you got? I honestly think I have uh, three run City. Three one. Wow. Three, one, I, I think it's a bit much. I feel like Champions League. They always they're always close because that's always. No, Champions League finals are never close. I mean, the Liverpool one was Liverpool close Spurs in was theory. Not, well, not close in theory. In if you look theory. at the scoreboard, it absolutely. What was, was the final close. score last two, year? Bayern two. PSG. Oh, that one. That one. That was Tuchel. Tuchel managed PSG in that oh, game. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. But. And with Thiago Silva, who's going to be in the middle of the back line this weekend for Chelsea. Like, I think I'm confident that Tuchel. He's 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 been in big games. He hasn't won the big game yet. Um, but I think uh, he's he's in Pep's head. I really do. And it, it doesn't mean it's good enough to beat him on on the day. But. Yeah. If anyone can, it's it's Tuchel and yeah. it's Chelsea. Like you said, you just got to be good in a one-off situation. It's one game. That's all it takes. Other than the most, the rest of this whole tournament where it's multiple games. If I had to pick, though, I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, wait, Scott. Wait, Scott. Scott's, <laughs> Scott's Scott coming in. I see Scott. Scott, Scott come I, give your score prediction. Scott does not look happy in there. I come think he was here, very Scott. angry He's with us up. giving right. us our, our predi- new producer, get in, Scott. Get into the, give, talking to the mic. I mean, no, I was just rooting Brett on. I, uh, really, everything that I think he's saying is that I agree with, yeah, you look at what Chelsea have done kind of throughout the season, it's been a lot of kind of hit or miss. There's been a lot of things that we've been excited about kind of defensively, especially since Tuchel has come in. But obviously what he's talking about with scoring, I think it does go into extra time. You get 1-1, one, 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 but really all it takes is one goal, and I think that's the time Werner shows up. It, it, Proves doubters wrong, 2-1. 
London is blue. Champions League final. <laughs> if if, if Timo Werner scores, Chelsea will win. If yeah, Timo Werner scores a goal, Chelsea will win. I think that's a good. Yeah, I think that's a good factor right there to put in. So I'll yeah. go ahead and take City as well. Me and my my <laughs> intense background in in Premier League soccer. There. I was about to say you. It sounds like you're gonna have to pick someone because this whole. Uh, it, V89 is getting very soccer centric now. We have a lot I, of people like good, soccer. I have a good friend who, abandon all you hope who enter here. I'm not wishing that hey, on anybody. Hey, join else. me on Liverpool, man. I have a great friend who's, <laughs> who's a City fan, either. so I'll, I'll just be Man City. I'll oh, probably oh, God. Oh, oh, that's even worse. On, I think that's the worst one. I think I could have lived with you taking United or anyone else because then we would have had something, but like City, plastic. What can I say? <laughs> just, don't, just don't pick any of the red teams, honestly. Any of them. Yeah. Liverpool, United, uh, the, the bad team that I don't want to talk about. Arsenal. Uh, uh, that's the one. But, yeah. Uh, I do want to ask one question to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, do So let's pretend, hypothetically, that you could pick, you know, Man City in a, in a Champions League final against the field where you could pick any team of your choice um, when it comes to the, the Premier League. Who, who oh, would you, who Premier would you, League. In a one-off game at the stage that is the Champions League. See, I don't know because like the Champions League is the one that Pep I mean. I think get. I think as of right now, it probably would have been Chelsea because I mean I don't like what I've seen really with United. I don't. I obviously the second best team in the league this season, but I just don't feel confident in everyone else other than Chelsea right now because Chelsea at least has had some big game experience and they at least know what to get to what they the, the, the only other manager that could do it is is, is Klopp at yeah. Liverpool and it's like this this year's Liverpool right now would, it's like no. they're not uh, they're you, not at that level if you're giving me a fully healthy Liverpool taking on City I would say 100% I'll take Liverpool every day of the week in that one but their current state no not a chance yeah I agree so yeah I yeah Chelsea would be the team that I, I think, think would give them the like best saving, run at least out of a British side yeah and I think Chelsea's saving grace for is it this Sunday Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Uh, Three o'clock, I believe. Yes. For for Saturday, I think Chelsea's saving grace is the fact that this is the one that City have not been able to land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's this is, this that's is the this one is reason. The final test for for Pep's quote unquote experiment on, on how much can you actually spend to win absolutely everything. I, I kind of think it would be hilarious if they do lose this one, though. It would be very hilarious if they cannot get over that hump and get the Champions League. Yeah. Oil still wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see on Saturday. We'll be oil or we'll be the Russians or the oil winning this time. No, uh, anyone? Russian oil versus uh, what is it? Well, oil? well oil no. Versus... Roman made his money selling rubber ducks. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but it's anyone's game. I, mean, it's, I don't think City are going to waltz to the to the trophy. If they do get an early lead, though, I think Chelsea could struggle coming from behind. But I think whoever gets that first goal really probably has the edge. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch on Sunday. A ton of great sports continuing out throughout the rest of these uh, months here as we move into the summer. I know we really didn't get into any FSU sports. Kind of a bad move on our end there. But I think that's going to be it. I gotta say, I gotta. I don't care if we're a little bit over. I gotta say my last goodbyes. This is my last show on, as host on the station here tonight. I actually didn't know that was your last show. This is gonna be. This I'm leaving. Well. I'm leaving town on Wednesday. I'm gonna be heading back home uh, to try and continue to find a job somewhere. Hopefully in sports journalism. I'd hope to even be working in golf right now. That's kind of <laughs> where I want to be uh, landing at. But obviously uh, beggars can't be choosers. So. I just want to say thank you once again to all these great people here. I mean, you guys are the best. I love this place. This has been my favorite part of FSU since I've came here all four years. I mean, like Michael Hudak bringing me as a freshman, sitting in the seat we're over where Sebastian's sitting at right now on my first Tomahawk talk in a summer, talking about SEC football and where we think teams are going to land and me thinking Kentucky's going to be a sleeper in 2017. But I, I love the place. I mean, I've met so many great people. There's, I mean, all the people just in this room are just a handful, but – there's so many more throughout the years and throughout uh, the years that I've met here. So, 
yeah, just thank you once again, all you guys, for making this the best part of college. We thank you, Gary, for for you know bringing guys like me and Brett and and my freshman year. So, um, mm-hmm. you say it's going to be your last show. We've had plenty of hosts say it's their last. <laughs> my show. last show is they host. always come back. I'm I'm not going to ever going to be the host. It's there always going to it's going to be go. your show next, yep. and then it's going to be whoever comes after you. But it's this is my last show as host. Hopefully, I can come in and. Uh, chip in on the panel every now and then maybe if i'm in town in uh coming months and maybe coming years but hopefully listen i've been sticking around for a month now here i, I don't know <laughs> might have a hard time getting rid of me again <laughs> exactly no yeah you've been hanging around all year too yeah so but yeah once again thank you for all you've done thank you to the station thank you to me thank you for everyone luke Fay, all those guys i mean they've phenomenal love them all love them all to death but yeah thank Gary you Putnick, one of uh vitor nine's famous finest products thank you thank you <laughs> thank you sebastian appreciate that but yeah and that's it for last time on Tomahawk Talk. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week. And that will be Luke Hazen in the driver's seat. So uh, I don't think uh, new release is up next, but we'll play some music for you guys. Let's take you into the rest of your Monday evening. Have a good one.